Hello and welcome to the iCrack podcast series with your host, Professor Noel Sharkey. Now in today's podcast, we have a real treat for you. I've got Stephen Goose, who's director of the Arms Division of Human Rights Watch. I've known Steve for a few years now, and I can tell you I have never seen anybody better at disarmament advocacy in my entire life. Now, Steve has been really heavily involved in getting three different types of nasty weapons banned in the past. That's anti-personnel landmines, cluster munitions, and blinding laser weapons. Now, blinding laser weapons are of particular interest here because they were banned before they were used. That is, they were a preemptive ban. And so that makes a really good model for the Stop Killer Robots campaign. But what we're going to get here from Steve Goose mainly is the lay of the land. He takes us through the whole landscape from where we are now in the campaign at the CCW, right through the different processes to the end point that he's experienced several times now. It was a great tutorial for me, and I hope it's the same for you. I began by asking Steve, how well is it going so far? We started off with a bang yesterday morning. We had more than 30 governments give general statements uh, about this issue, and the vast majority of them were positive from our perspective. In particular, we were glad that there was an emphasis on the need to retain meaningful human control over the key decisions of targeting and killing civilians. And do you see much change since last year? Last year was also encouraging. Uh, we've got, uh, we've got I, I think, a high level of engagement. States are more prepared to begin stay, saying what they believe rather than just listening and talking about how complicated it all is. We're beginning to see states come forward with some of their positions, although there's a long way to go. And one, of, one of our big problems uh, in our campaign so far is that we don't have many formal national policies. We need that, and we need to get some governments to start to be champions on this issue, to come forward, to call for the preemptive ban, and to work closely with us. So do you think it's moving fast enough in your experience? We were very successful in quite rapid campaigns to ban blinding lasers and anti-personnel mines uh, and cluster munitions as well. This has started out even more quickly. Uh, there wasn't a lot of background uh, on this. This kind of came out of nowhere, not so much for the scientists and others, but certainly for the general public and even people in, say, the human rights community. And it's moved extremely quickly. The fact that we've already had now two years worth of discussions in the Convention on Conventional Weapons in the CCW is amazing. They usually talk an issue to death before they agree to start putting it on the formal agenda. So it's, 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 it's really quite amazing that we've been able to get as far as we have, but the danger is that they'll start to slow down now. Uh, they've, been, they've been seized with the issue, they've been, uh, they've been stunned at the amount of media attention and attention from uh, academia and think tanks and the NGO civil society world, but they're also, I think, still wanting to explore the possibility of moving forward with fully autonomous weapons. So far, more states have said that, uh, that they're a bad idea than a good idea, but there are certainly those who want to leave the door wide open to pursuing these things. What would you like to see as the next step forward, say, for next year's CCW? 
The CCW is a good place to work on this, despite the fact that it has had many failures in the past. Indeed, it was the CCW's failure on landmines and its failure on cluster munitions that led to outside processes, independent processes that, processes that resulted uh, in the two ban treaties. So we're very wary of what might happen here, how slow it might go, or how weak an outcome they might get. But it's a good place to have the discussion it's got the U.S. and Russia and China and Israel uh, and others, that South Korea, that we're concerned about, particularly on this issue. And we want to hear their views. We want to make sure they hear our views uh, and that they're well-educated in the dangers of these things. What we need to see, though, is much more aggressive action uh, in the CCW. They talked for four days last year. They're talking for five days this year. That's just not enough to do more than scratch the surface. We want to see them start formal uh, discussions. These have all been informal discussions. We want to see them formalize the process. We want to see them do three, four weeks worth of work uh, next year in, uh, in 2016. And then at the end of next year, at the end of 2016, there's a five-year review conference, which is a marker for the state's parties to this convention. It's when they want to show the convention is working. And we think the way they can do that is to reach that review conference at the end of 2016 and agree to a formal negotiating mandate and begin those negotiations the next year and wrap them up within a year or two. Would the formal uh, meeting be very different from the informal group of experts, which is just experts giving their views and, and delegations asking questions and making statements? It depends on what they have agreed that a formal group of governmental experts would do. Uh, they, they can outline their work. It could end up looking very much like this, but there would be the, the formal process uh, would require probably more study, more preparation. There would be uh, a greater exchange of papers and um, translation into all the five languages, and it has its implications in terms of, of making it a process that begins to look like negotiations. And that, in fact, is what GGEs, groups of governmental experts, uh, in, the, in the formal setting are supposed to be doing. It's like pre-negotiations. And the next stage after that? I may be so bold as to ask so far ahead. Well, it would be the formal negotiations that we would want to see start then in 2017. And we would want to push to have a time, tight time limit on those negotiations. This is a forum where they could drag out negotiations for five or ten years. We want to see them be able to produce within one or two years a new legally binding protocol, a protocol six to the Convention on Conventional Weapons that would comprehensively prohibit the development, production, and use of fully autonomous weapons. So once they've moved into the formal uh, zone, as it were, what will the role of civil society be then? We would want to ensure that they don't start closing the doors. Uh, when they move into the formal settings, they can then uh, have uh, sessions that are closed to those who aren't states' parties, closed not just to us in civil society, but would be closed to those who haven't signed the treaty either, the, the governments who haven't signed the treaty. So there's that danger. Uh, although we have 
made a lot of progress in the CCW over the years. Uh, when I first started coming here over 20 years ago, um, they wouldn't let us into the room almost ever, except for maybe you know one plenary session a week. Now we're in the room all the time, and I think even if they move to the formal setting, that will continue to be the case because we have so many friendly governments in the room who are used to us playing a very high profile uh, and, and positive role uh, in the context of other humanitarian disarmament treaties. Now, last question. If you had to choose one aspect of killer robots that you really disliked, what would that be? It's hard to choose. There are so many different aspects uh, that we don't like. At Human Rights Watch, we tend to view everything through the prism of international humanitarian law and international human rights law. So we're extremely concerned that these things are highly unlikely to be able to comply with the requirements of IHL. And that means that they won't provide adequate protections to civilians. We're worried that these things will result in far greater civilian casualties uh, and much greater danger uh, to uh, civilians than is the case today. Thank you very much, Steve. That was fantastic. And in our next podcast, we have yet another view of killer robots from none other than the great Jody Williams, Nobel Peace Prize winner, who, among other things, tells us what irritates her most about the case in favour of killer robots. So until then, goodbye for now. I'll be speaking to you again soon, and I hope you'll be listening.